Those tiny shorts? Ball bag always hanging out the side? No. Well, good hello. Good hellos to you, Michelle. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't quite a good morning or a hello. Good hello. It was a mixture of all. Good hello to you. Hello, Michelle. How are you today? I'm great. It's sunny outside, hot and beautiful. How are you? I'm good. Same here. Wherever I am in the world right now, it's pretty nice as well. Having a good time where you are? What are you doing? I'm exploring Stockholm in sunny Sweden. That's where I am. I'm going to be hanging out with the fam. Nice one. Not my fam. Someone else's. Because they're the only ones that will have you. <laughs> Listen, Michelle, Michelle, last week's episode, did you hear anything about it? Did anyone come back at you and say, I had no idea, one, who Army Hammer was, or two, all the awful things he's been up to? No, I didn't. It's been radio silence. Radio silence I think it's come because on. nobody knew even who he was. I did look him up, though. Yeah. I mean, do you know what? He's he's pretty good looking dude. Like, you can see why the ladies love him. You were desperate to know what he looked like. He's all right. He's all right. Would I go there knowing no. that he wants to eat my rib? No. Or munch on a toe? Probably, Probably not. not. Exactly. Let's give him a, a wide berth. And I'm sure, you know what? I'm pretty sure we'd probably be in his um, swipe to the left or the right. I don't know which way you go when you don't like the person. Uh, swi- oh, gosh, it's been so long. Swi- I think it's a swipe left if it's a, uh, yes, no, no. Okay. a swipe right. So we would be in the bin, basically, you and I. I think I don't think yep. we'd get a second glance really from Army. Would you, do you think? No. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think he'd be potentially up for anyone who's <laughs> anyone willing. willing to give up a pinky. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for a snack. Oh, wow. Listen, Michelle, I've got a shout out today for a lovely man by the name of Marcus. Okay. He has started listening. He's a friend of mine from work. And I mentioned that I did a podcast. He was dying to know what it was. I told him and I thought that's the last I'll hear of it. Most people just go, oh, yeah, no, I haven't listened yet. No, I'll get round to it. I haven't watched it yet, they sometimes say. Uh, and I'm like, well, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's something that you listen to. It's a podcast, like a radio show. But they just kind of yeah. cut. Some people just don't quite get the measure of what a podcast is. But Marcus did, and he listened to not one but four on the go. He said he just couldn't stop listening. I love you, Marcus. Here's a massive shout out to you, Marcus. And please keep listening. The one that he really liked, well, the one that stuck out for him was the one that we did about feral children. And it's funny because another listener, Karina, a.k.a. Karina Vagina, as I call her, I don't know if I should put that on there, (laughs) has said the same thing. She was absolutely fascinated by that story that you told about the Ukrainian girl who was raised as a, like, raised with dogs because she was abandoned by her parents. And she pointed out that she was in the Donbass region. So she now will probably have been moved on into Russia because that's what they're doing with a lot of the people in institutions in the Donbass. Jesus Christ. That's scary. Oh, that's really awful. So I wonder what happened to that girl, Yulia, was it? And what was her name? Do you remember? Olina. Oh, God. Oksana. Oksana, that's right. God, you've got a good memory. You haven't got the old middle-aged menopause memory. I'm drinking a mushroom coffee right now, Michelle. It's barking up all my synapses. It's hitting all the right spots. Well, you know, poor old dog girl because, yeah, she might not have had a... Dog girl, as you'll call her. ...have a good fate, unfortunately. Yeah. So I don't have any shout-outs. However, I do have an update on a previous story. What one? Anyone who's been eavesdropping on us for a while might remember when we looked at the Lynette Dawson case. That was in one of our Psychic Detective episodes. And I did actually look it up. It was from season two, episode 20, oh, if you want to go back. Well <laughs> done. I'll tell you what, they can't hit us up for not researching things, can they? Our haters can't hate on the researching techniques. <laughs> We're very good. Well, they could <laughs> probably troll us for any other number of things. But anyway, <laughs> so for anyone who, who maybe doesn't 
remember that episode. Uh, we talked about how it was speculated that Lynn Dawson, who was a mother of, of two girls in Australia in the early 80s, it was speculated that her husband, Chris Dawson, was behind her mysterious disappearance. They've never found a body. No. And this whole case has been reignited because of an excellent podcast that we also talked about, an Australian podcast called Teacher's Pet. Yes. Which... From the Australian, mm, which is a newspaper, newspaper in Australia. Yep. yep. And they uncovered this sex ring and all sorts, but... Really? Yeah. Don't you remember the PE sex ring? Oh. The PE teachers. Oh, no, of course. The PE, because there were PE teachers and they were all at it with the underage girls. That's right. But what I'm really keen to know about, Michelle, before you go any further is the thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that Chris Dawson and I think his brother were both players for the Newtown Jets, the football team, back in the 70s and 80s. Now, my family are from that area and I know... It's full of gangsters. And I know that they've got links. The football in particular has links with underbelly crime rings. You did talk about this very briefly. And I'm just going to actually touch on that a little bit coming up because what's been happening has been quite explosive because that podcast has led to Chris Dawson now being up for murder charges. And the trial is happening right now in Australia. Oh, my God. So I've been tracking the case a bit and it's been heating up in like really left field ways. So it's come out and we knew this, that Chris Dawson was shagging his like troubled 15 slash 16 year old babysitter, Joanne Curtis, yes. before Lynn went missing. And basically moved her in. he'd moved her into the family home as the babysitter. That obviously sparked massive rows between Lynn and Chris. Of course. Then yeah. Chris... Took a time out. Don't know if he told Lynn he was taking a time out, but he took mm. a time out from the marriage to go on a road trip with Joanne, the babysitter, in late December right, yeah. in 1981. First week of January 1982, Lynn goes missing. Two days later, while she's like still AKA missing, and I'm doing like, I don't know why I said AKA, I meant like inverted Finger air quotes. quotes. Finger quotes, is that what you call them? Air quotes. No. What did you think I said? No, I said finger quotes. Oh, the finger quotes. Inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> Two days after Lynn's gone missing. And to put this into perspective, Chris did not report Lynn missing for six weeks. Yeah. Two days after she's missing, babysitter gets moved in, not as the babysitter, as the girlfriend. And he told, well, the husband told friends, he thought, oh, the wife's run off with a religious cult. He then Mm -hmm. tried to sell the family home without her signature and after, you know, it had been, uh, I think, 18 months, he was legally allowed to marry Joanne, which is all massively upsetting. But it's come to light in the trial that Chris and his twin brother, Paul, they were recorded by the police had their phones tapped in 1999 and there is a phone recording that was played in court the gist of which was that Joanne had more to gain from getting rid of of Lynn than apparently Chris did and that Paul the brother now remembers a conversation with a conveniently now dead family friend called Elva McBay who supposedly told him that Lynn had been threatened by Joanne at a birthday party where apparently Joanne said to Lynette if she got in a way she'd get rid of her. She was 16. How on earth can a 16 year old girl pull off a a murder of a grown woman and two disposal of a body that never gets found? Exactly right and you know what I'm gonna do on this? I'm calling Bullshit. 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 I don't know if this conversation ever really happened because, you know, the police had reopened a little bit of an investigation in 1999 and they'd interviewed the brothers. So the brothers knew something was going on and it seemed to me they probably had some kind of idea that their phones were being tapped and they were essentially trying to throw Joanne under the bus with this story and like I said 
Oh, it supposedly came from the mouth of a woman who now is dead and can't speak for herself. By all accounts, Joanne had, and she was a teenager when she got married, so from about 15, 16 and married at 18. And I'm pretty sure that pretty quickly the coercive control that, that Lynn suffered happened to Joanne quite quickly as well. That is exactly what happened. She had a pretty harrowing married life with him. Like you say, controlling, he was even violent and apparently he just made yeah. her life hell. If you think about it, did Joanne really have more to gain from killing Lynn? You know, didn't Chris hold all the cards at this point? Because of course. he got the teenage bride, you know, he got the house, yeah. he got the life insurance, yeah. he got the joint money, he got the family and the young girls. So I just don't buy into that line, line of the inquiry. The daughters, me. Yeah. yeah. No, me either. I was just trying to imagine running off with my PE teacher when I was 16. I can't think of anything worse. Those <laughs> tiny shorts, ball bag always hanging out the side. No, I know. no thanks. I know. And look, we had one of those at my school. And I think I had mentioned in the previous episode, he came knocking on my door one Saturday. That's right. Yeah. And it's always the PE teacher. It is always the PE teacher. Sorry, PE teachers worldwide. I am sorry to cast the net wide and cast aspersions upon your character. But well, all I'm saying is there's a couple maybe making bad names for you guys. And also, we always used to make fun of the fact that they were called a PE teacher because PE was a premature ejaculation. So it's like, whoop, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, back to this trial, a new witness has come forward saying that he saw Lynn two years after she went missing, apparently, Mm -hmm. and that he reckons she was working in a hospital. Now, Lynn had been a, a trained nurse. So maybe this is where his memory is is connecting this because there's no evidence to support his claim about this at all. And he says he was in hospital for a surgery. He wasn't in the best shape when he claims to have seen her. I don't think he was even wearing his glasses. So it doesn't sound very legit. But the wife reckons that when she went to visit the husband in, in hospital, she also saw Lynn. None of them spoke to her. None of them said, Uru, Lynn, how you going? So it wasn't like they had any conversation where they went, oh, oh, it's not Lynn at all. But she looks a bit like Lynn, yeah. I think is what it was probably. And they contacted the police in 1987 to tell them that they had seen Lynn because until 1987, no one even had known that she'd gone missing really. Right. Apparently, the police told this couple in 87, oh, it couldn't have been Lynn, she's under the pool. Oh. Now, we had spoken a little bit about this um, back in that yeah. episode 20 last season. So to hear more on that, I would suggest go back and listen to that episode. Yep. But to go... It's a fascinating case. Oh, it yeah. really is. And then to go back to what you had said about organised crime. Yeah. During the trial, one of Joanne's friends came forward at Chris's trial now. She says Joanne told her she was going to leave Chris Dawson because the marriage, as we just said, was violent and controlling. And she apparently told a friend, if I don't make it, which I guess if she goes missing or worse, that the friend was to immediately go to the police and tell them that she, Joanne, believed that her husband Chris had had Lynn murdered. So apparently Joanne had told this friend that she and Chris had gone to a pub where Chris had spoken to a man at a pub. It has been speculated that it was the Newtown Jets club and that she saw him, Chris Dawson, give this guy an envelope and that shortly after this, Lynn went missing. She went missing. Well, this is in the podcast yep. as well. Other witnesses saw him coming out of the, the clubhouse on those dates probably that would have correlated with what... Exactly. What's her name said. And and there were two witnesses in this trial that basically gave similar stories against mm. Chris Dawson. So, and, you know, this one friend said that Joanne apparently told her that he came out and said to her after this exchange at the pub or the club that he said to her, I went inside to get a hitman to kill Lynn, but I decided not to do it because innocent people could be killed. Ah. So that's the update right now on the Chris Dawson case. So much to think about. Yeah. So I just think... That's a lot. We need to see how this is going to play out in the coming weeks and months. And this could run and run. But yeah, it's super interesting. 
Update, but what are we actually talking about today? What's our topic? What's our subject? What are we on? Well, it's funny because we had this theme and I completely forgot it and I went down this whole yes. other road. So <laughs> sorry about that. That's all right. So basically, what I'm going to be talking about today is the, and I'm doing air quotes again, finger quotes. Finger quotes. The, I don't know if it's actually true, origin story of Stranger Things. Oh, so on trend at the moment, Michelle. Everybody's watching it. I know, but I actually just had a conversation with my fiancé about, he said, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, we're going to be talking about the the backstory of of Stranger Things. And he went, what's that? So not everybody's (laughs) watching it. (laughs) But But he doesn't know who Tom Cruise is either, bless him. (laughs) He does. Right? <laughs> didn't he know? I'm he sure didn't know. he knows who Tom Cruise No, is. Steven Spielberg. Oh, Steven Spielberg. He did. That's he who he doesn't know. He just got a bit confused. But look, I have to confess that I loved the first season of Stranger Things, fell a bit out of love with season two, and full disclosure, yeah. I haven't even watched three or four. So season four is what everyone is loving right now. It's just come out. And I know your your kids are all over it. Well, one kid, the other one's terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So look, I just thought I'd dig into this after I, I read okay. a little bit about this dark, supernatural kind of story it's meant to be sure. based on. And before we go any further, I just want to say, let's just be clear about this. And let's just call it for what it is. It's a conspiracy theory. So I'm not. Oh, what you're about to tell yeah, us? Yeah. So because okay, because the the articles that I read, yeah, it has this kind of feeling of like it's true, but really, I I do feel like it's more a conspiracy theory. So just keep that in mind. But I'm just okay. I'm just going to give you a little recap of the Stranger Things plot from season one because this will help put into context what I'm about to tell you. So Stranger Things it's set in 1983 in Hawkins, Indiana. A young boy Uh called Will Byers goes missing near a secret government lab. The same night Will goes missing, a strange young girl with a shaved head shows up at a local diner. Turns out she's got telekinesis, which means she can move things with her mind. Like Carrie. A bit like Carrie, yes, but no buckets of pig's blood. And she's on the run from this evil laboratory. And she claims that the lab's researching supernatural phenomena using kids and that they have unlocked a gateway to another dimension. Oh. So that is the plot of Stranger Things. Now, okay, it sounds crazy that that could be based on real events, right? Sure. But there's this filmmaker called Christopher yeah. Garitano, and he's investigating what started out as urban legends about a place called Camp Hero in Montauk in New York. So apparently Camp Hero is a former Cold War radar station and it was shut down in the 1980s and it's reported that when it was shut down, the locals all started hearing stories about government scientists who'd been drugging and experimenting on snatched foster kids and also street kids since the 1970s. Again, the 70s, the Wild West of fucking no ethics. It all happens. All happens in the 70s. The kids were experimented on and used for like mind control experiments, time travel experiments, teleportation experiments, controlling black holes, psychotronics where you use your mind to control devices and even they were used to make contact with aliens. Oh, now, okay. <laughs> now, of course, the US government has denied the existence of this secret lab or bunker under Camp Hero where all of these experiments allegedly were meant to have taken place. It sounds place. like Hillary, Hillary's basement in Comet Ping Pong Pizza, It really it? does sound a bit like Comet Ping Pong. But Christopher Garitano, the filmmaker, he reckons he's found geophysical proof that there is a huge underground structure under that military base. And he says that up to 100,000 children could have been kidnapped for these secret experiments in this underground lab. That's a lot. Mm. And I'll get onto that in a minute. But he reckons he's actually spoken to survivors who were kidnapped when they were kids 
and they were experimented on. I actually did read this other story. Just to let you know, both of these stories are from the sun. So make of that what you will. Sometimes there's a grain of truth there. It's not the star. And it's not what the daily stuff. <laughs> it's not pure fantasy. No. And there was a guy who is in his 50s from New York who didn't want to be named. He wanted his anonymity. So he's nameless in this article. He said he'd been abducted as a kid and held captive as part of a secret government experiment called the Montauk Project, where they were conducting experiments on kids to test mind control and psychological warfare theories. And he reckons he was abducted for different periods of time in 1980 and 1981. And he says he was taken to an underground lab beneath Camp Hero, where he was tested on against his will. He reckons he was about 12 or 13 at the time or between those two ages. He's now in his mid-50s. Fucking hell. Mm. Bloody hell. And he reckons he only remembered any of this from recovered memories while he was under hypnosis in 2018. So I'm just going to read a few words that he has to say on this. And these are his words. He said, we're riding around Montauk on bikes. We had this little BMX gang. Uh, This kid I'd seen around before who was a bit of a loner talked me into riding my bike with him to the Montauk base. Then these are my words. From there, apparently they went through security gates And the guy and his friend were greeted by two men in dark suits. And they were told, hey, there's really cool stuff inside. Come inside the base. You know, come in and check it out. Stranger danger. So they did. They were led down a dark path to an entryway where they then continued down a pitch black tunnel. And eventually they came to this sunken house with a collapsed roof. Don't even know why, what that means. But he says... And these are his words. I don't know how deep it went, but I remember going down to the second level and then just blacking out. I don't ever remember leaving. How long was he there? He was there on and off different periods. So he kept going back? Apparently. Because they were abducting. But he doesn't have any actual memory of it, only a recovered memory. Yes. Yes. Now, Geordie's giving me the face here. A quizzical look (laughs) coming your way, Michelle. Well, just hold on to that quizzical look because it gets right. it gets quite crazier. Because look, if this actually was true, surely his parents would have alerted the police at the time. A search yes. would have been made for a missing kid. And I'm just saying that, you know, if this was a book, I would flag this as a plot hole. But moving right along. Plot hole. Plot hole or bullshit. A bullshit. The dude goes <laughs> on to say that while he was under hypnosis... He remembered being in different rooms inside the underground bunker, including being naked and strapped to a table with wires attached to his head and body. And he remembers there were other kids being experimented on as well. And these are his words. He said, We were being held in a concrete room beneath the camp's radar tower. There were around 70 other children in the room. We were all dressed in the same clothing I don't remember leaving that room either. So I think that they were either drugging us or using gas on us to either like make us not remember or pass out. He says, and these are his words, they were using our energy and trying to figure out if something was going on with us. The group I was with was all boys and we were taken against our will. I think that they had machines that were manipulating time. It was either time or dimensions. It was not normal stuff that they were doing. It wasn't like they were testing us with drugs to see if we got tuberculosis or something like that. He also said, and look, this actually kind of reminds me a little bit of John Ronson's Men Who Stare at Goats, which if you don't know about that book or you haven't read it, it's a nonfiction book about the US Army conducting mind control experiments where soldiers would try to stop a goat's heart and kill it just by staring at it. So, you know, the the US government were doing mind control experiments. That has been documented. Oh, yes, they were. They really were. So this, this unidentified dude says again that while under hypnosis, he and other boys who were in the, in the bunker were handed guns and told to kill a row of people in front of them. But the, they were oh facing away from them. So they only saw the back of their head. And he says, oh, I remember shooting all these people in the back of their heads, but we never looked at their faces. 
And he says, I think the point of that test was to see if we had the capability to actually kill a living human. But there was no blood anywhere. And I realized under hypnosis that they were actually mannequins. Okay. So circling back to Christopher Garitano, he says he's spoken to loads of witnesses who all claimed they were experimented on and they were all runaways or vulnerable kids who were lured in or abducted and basically used as as guinea pigs and he says that thousands of kids were murdered and dumped after they'd been experimented on and that there might have been links to organized crime related to the Montauk project and these are his words he says I've heard about children being kidnapped and murdered from every single one of the people I've spoken to about this. And look, when I was thinking about this, it seemed unbelievable to me that thousands of kids could just go missing. And like I said, you know, Christopher Garitano reckons there were over 100,000 people or kids experimented on during 13 years, during the 70s and 1980s. And that's a lot of people. So I did a quick search for how many people go missing every year in the United States. This is what I was going to say next, Michelle. It is a lot, but actually I think, you know, that kids just do go missing. And there are, if you look at or each state in the United States, for example, it would end up being a lot. Well, that's the thing. So tell us, what did you find out? Well, I went to the government stats from the FBI actual website 2019 missing person and unidentified persons statistics report said that as of December 31, 2019, there were almost uh, 87,500 active missing person records for that year, Wow! of which 35% were under the age of 18 and 44% in total were under 21, which seems kind of low figure considering that the population of America in 2019 was just a smidge under 330 million. However, there were 609,000 people reported missing, but 607,000 of those reports were cancelled. So I'm not good at maths, but I think there's around, give or take, 110,000 people that are on the books, but they're not actively missing from that year. Okay. We're looking at probably closer to 200,000 people a year actively missing in the United States. And when you put that into the context of 1980, when there was 100 million people less in the United States, it is possible to have 100,000 kids experimented on over a 13-year period, right? Back then, too, there was no internet, no CCTV, no joined up systems for reporting or locating missing people. So I think it's a lot, probably would have been a lot easier back then for people just to disappear. I mean, we talked about Connie Converse, you know, she just went missing in the 70s. And, and I think people were just more accepting of it. They're like, yeah, she went to another state. We never heard from her again. So I think it is possible. And look, if they were troubled teens, they were runaways, you know, they were kids who got messed up in with gangs or drugs or prostitution, they're the kids that were being targeted, according to this Christopher Garitano. Right. So who knows? And and look, to be fair, Christopher Garitano says he doesn't know either. And he says he has no evidence for anything other than anecdotal reports from people who say this stuff happened to them. But he truly believes that something happened out there. And you know how I, I mentioned before that he says there were links to organised crime. Yes. He says he spoke to a guy who, again, did not want his real name used because they never do. So he's using, using the pseudonym called James Bruce. And he says he was taken into the underground lab. He was injected. He was subjected to mind control experiments. And he reckons kids were murdered and their bodies were disposed of through organized crime mobs. And that he reckons someone in his own family was involved with that body disposal, which... Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, I mean, which sounds crazy. But Christopher Garitano says this guy, when he was telling him this information, seemed really genuine when he was talking about it. And that this guy was one of those kids who was in trouble a lot with the law as a kid. And mm. that the story did not seem rehearsed. And he wasn't making any money off this story by telling it. So I don't know. I don't know. 
when you're telling me the story about organised crime guys, and they do certainly know how to dispose of a body. They do. But I also imagine, I'm thinking of Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci right now, all psychopaths when they're playing the mob guys, Italian-Americans. I have an issue with them disposing of children's bodies or murdering children or having anything to do with children. I don't think the Italian mafia would get their hands in that kind of business. Look, I might be wrong. I don't know. I just imagine they're family guys. I'm a family guy. Well, look, it might not necessarily have been the mob. But yes, I see I see what you're saying. Anybody who potentially has to dispose of a, a child or a teen's body, you know, like yeah, it's going to it's going to haunt you, you would imagine. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just relaying the story. I don't know. So, well, this is an interesting story. And what else do you know, Mish? So he also said, Christopher Garitano also said, he went to Camp Hero to do some geophysical tests on the area to see if there really could be some kind of secret lab under the ground. And he reckons the officials guarding the disused base, and there are apparently officials guarding this disused base. Mm. Right. He reckons Why? every time he went there, the officials would freak out and they would not let him near certain areas. And these are his words. He said, we brought in geophysical equipment, which specifically is called electric resistivity or electronic resistivity imagery. Neil, scientist, help me out here. Wow, that's tri- that's tricky. It is. <laughs> and he said uh, they gave him really good readings and he said – it gave us a vertical slice of information that proved there was an enormous man-made structure underground that's not officially supposed to be there. And every si- right. and he says, every single government official denies there, that there are any man-made structures there except for a couple of access tunnels that were filled in. Well, hmm. this wasn't an access tunnel. There was something much larger that was being described by the men who claimed they were part of the experiment. Now... There was also apparently a chair that one alleged survivor called Preston Nichols described as a mind-reading chair where kids were made to sit in this chair and then they had energy waves like beamed at them. They were hammered with these energy waves to see if there was any psychic change or any kind of psychotronic ability. Now, psychotronic, remember, is where you can move... move, well. you can alter yeah, alter devices with your mind. And okay. apparently it was discovered while kids were in this chair that if you had any kind of psychic ability, there was some kind of activity. And if the subject focused really hard on something in their mind, it could momentarily physically materialize. This is what, yeah, I know. This is where it gets a bit, bit too much for me. Woo, but yeah. a bit woo woo. And this is where Preston Nichols sort of lost me because he's saying basically they were able to take things from a subject's imagination and make it real. And this is okay. where Stranger Things comes in because right. Preston Nichols reckons apparently a monster was once materialized from a kid's mind, and it went oh on a rampage God. through the airbase. Which, to me, again, I got to call bullshit on that. But if all of this really did happen and kids did go missing and they were experimented on and little wormholes opened up in space and time travel portals were, you know, sucking people in and putting them into different times and places and monsters were being conjured. Well... It's fucking terrifying. Absolutely it is. If a, cu- a kid can just imagine something and there it is in front of you going nuts. I know. Fuck, I don't want that to happen. But if it's not true, then Which I think likely. the producers have made a really great TV series. Absolutely. And that is the origin story of Stranger Things, apparently. Amazing, Michelle. What a lot of shit. <laughs> Do you know what, though? <laughs> I think there are elements in that which could have some kind of basis in fact because we do know that the US um, government did conduct a lot of mind control experiments over many decades. Absolutely. You know. I know all about that, Michelle, because I've just done my research on MKUltra. 
Ah, that's a CIA mind control, isn't it? CIA mind control. So while you were telling me that story, I was thinking a lot about, you know, yes, there are mind control experiments for, and they've been going on for years, decades. Yeah. And they have been proven to be true and real. Mm. And I'm going to tell you all about it right I now. I can't wait because I know only the haziest little hint about MKUltra. Well, it does sound like a gun. Like it sounds like an MK Uzi Ultra. to me. It's like, pass me the MKUltra. It sounds like a hair dye to me. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I, I would love. I would love an MK Ultra because I'm getting some greys that are getting hard to cover, <laughs> like mahogany, mahogany <laughs> K Extra Ultra. <laughs> anyway, okay, cast your minds back if you are old enough to the Cold War, mm-hmm. and the CIA became convinced that communists had discovered a drug or a technique that would allow them to control human minds, so they devised their own version. So, huh. Project MK Ultra was born. This is the code name for an illegal CIA program, which began in the 50s, where human experimentation took place on innocent people in a bid to discover how drugs like LSD could be used in interrogation, brainwashing, and psychological torture, methods which are still used to this day. Oh, dear. So this project was overseen and created by a chemist called Sidney Gottlieb, and the methods used were things like giving unsuspecting test subjects high doses of psychoactive drugs, such as LSD, mescaline, things like that, and other chemicals, God knows what. Electroshock, which we know has been used for a long time in curing mental health disorders. Hypnosis. Sensory deprivation, going back to Eleven in Stranger Things, when she had to conjure things, she would be in a little flotation tank, wouldn't she? Mm. Isolation verbal abuse, sexual abuse, and many other forms of torture. Wow. Well, that doesn't sound like much fun. It's not really a lot of fun. But can you imagine, I mean, being given like high levels of LSD? I mean, your brain is fucked. Your brain would be completely fucked. And not knowing what was going on. being aware that you're on a crazy trip. Yeah. You've lost your mind because even when you know you've dropped something, you feel like you've lost your mind and oh and yeah. small levels you know well anyway these these mk ultra experiments were carried out under the guise of research in more than 80 institutions across the us including colleges universities hospitals prisons and pharmaceutical companies all on unwilling and unaware members of the public and this was all done hush hush by the cia in highly illegal breaches in human rights. Of course. We, you know, we just talked about this. Like, exactly. no ethics. And I say the 70s was the Wild West of, like, zero ethics. Absolutely. Well, 50s, 60s, like, anything before the 70s as well, you know. we. It's even worse. It is even <laughs> worse. And I wonder if these people were, like we just talked about with the Montauk Project, if they were snatched or abducted. Well, let me tell you. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Journalist Stephen Kinzer, who wrote the book, Poisoner-in-Chief, spent several years investigating the program and calls the operation the most sustained search in history for techniques of mind control. Right. So even more than the Montauk Project, Yeah. if that was even true. this It was a continuation of World War II Japanese and Nazi concentration camps. So in those camps, Nazi doctors at, say, for example, Dachau concentration camp would use mescaline on prisoners which inspired the CIA and Kinzer said that the CIA secretly recruited Nazi torturers and vivisectionists to continue their work on thousands of subjects and were brought to a place called Fort Detrick which is in Maryland in the United States to instruct CIA officers on how long it took people to die from sarin. You remember sarin? That's the nerve agent which was developed in 1938 in Germany as a pesticide and it's man-made toxin. It was used in two terrorist attacks in Japan in 1994 and 1995. That's another story. We'll talk about that another time. But can you imagine sitting around, like being a government scientist, sitting around going, right, well, how are we going to get ahead of the Russians? Let's just, you know, inject people let's with drugs. Let's go this far. Exactly. We suspect they're doing this, so let's go nuts. It sounds horrifying. And how do you live with yourself? Who knows? Sorry, continue with your great Thank story. Thank you. 
1953, American bacteriologist, biological warfare scientist, and an employee of the United States Army Biological Warfare Laboratories. Sorry about that mouthful, but you need to take this all in. His name was Frank Olson. He's the guy I've just been talking about. He's an employee. He worked at, De- at Camp Detrick. He attended a meeting one day at a retreat in rural Maryland with various other colleagues and CIA operatives when he and other participants were covertly, now I believe this means that they were aware of it, dosed with LSD by, by their colleague, Sidney Gottlieb, but they were told, they weren't told it was LSD, they were told it was a potential truth serum and they were being experimented on with this truth serum, <laughs> right? Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but that's horrible. It's not a funny story. Take a truth serum. <sighs> When Olsen returned home to his family the next day, he seemed different. He refused to eat, seemed distant, and wouldn't attend to his children. At one point, he told his wife, I've made a terrible mistake. MK Ultra had been operating for about seven months at this time, and barely two dozen men knew the true nature and the intentions of the project. I should point out, actually, that I got a lot of this information from a CBS, CBC, CBS? I can't remember. The Fifth Estate, it's called. It's a Canadian podcast called Brainwashed. And I'd listened to this about a year ago. So I knew a lot of this stuff Mm. and I've been dying to talk about it. So anyway, some days later, Frank Olson and his boss, Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Rouette, arrived at work at Detrick, both still in bad shape from the retreat where they were dosed, right? Rouette later recalled that Frank appeared to be agitated and asked Rouette if Rouette should fire him or if he should quit. So he was all over the shop. Rouette managed to calm him for the duration of the day, but the next day, Olsen came to work again, even worse. And Rouette said that Olsen was disoriented, he felt all mixed up about the work he had been doing, and he felt incompetent. So nine days later, after this potential truth serum had been administered, Frank Olsen went to New York with a colleague called Robert Lashbrook. During the night, Olsen fell to his death from a window (gasps) in the Hotel Statler in New York. The night manager on duty at the time rushed over to Olsen, who was still alive. And apparently the night manager says that Olsen tried to speak to him, but he died before medical help arrived. Years later, I know, terrible. Years later, the night manager recalled, I've never encountered a case where someone got up in the middle of the night, ran across a dark room in his underwear, avoiding two beds and dove through a closed window with the shade and curtains drawn. So it's a bit fishy. He obviously was given like massively high dose of LSD. He told his wife, I've made a mistake. Yeah. Like his brain was never coming back. He was losing it. Absolutely. But also he seemed to be a bit of a, a bit of a liability, I think. So the US government, of course, described his death as a suicide, then misadventure, but others allege it was murder. And it was thought that he was chosen as, a, as his subject because he was suspected of being a security risk or was he disposed of because he was suspected you can find out by watching a series on netflix called wormwood starring peter sarsgaard so you can go and watch that and find out more so going back Mm -hmm. to this journalist kinser who wrote the book poisoner in chief he says gottlieb wanted to create a way to seize control of people's minds and he realized it was a two-part process first you had to blast away the existing mind Second, you had to find a way to insert a new mind into that resulting void. We didn't get that far on number two, but we did a lot of work on number one. Oh, so what? They just blasted away the old mind, left you with nothing. Nothing. Nothing inside. A void. Yeah. Empty in the coconut. So due to the top secret aspects of the case, it's difficult to establish the cost of the human lives that were involved. And it's unknown how many deaths occurred directly as a result, but lives were definitely ruined. So going back to my CBC podcast, Brainwashed, there's another story on there. There's a man in his 60s called Lloyd Schreier, and he Mm -hmm. tells the story of his mother, Esther, who was a patient in Montreal's Allen Memorial Institute in the 1960s. Now, Esther had gone there to seek treatment for what would now be described as anxiety or postnatal depression, right? And she was also, she was pregnant with Lloyd at the time. There's a man there called Dr. Ewan Cameron. He was the director of the hospital at the time. Now, he's a Scottish-born American psychiatrist, well-regarded with a reputation that had caught the attention of the US government after he evaluated Rudolf Hess at the Nuremberg trials. 
He's a psychiatrist. Yep. So as part of NK Ultra, the CIA were interested in his psychiatric research that involved extreme sensory deprivation, drugs, and an intense repetition of recorded messages. That was his style. CIA found out. They hooked him on board. So the moment that poor old Esther Schreier entered that hospital, her well-being and that of her unborn child were totally disregarded. She spent 30 days in what was called the sleep room, which is the place where patients were put in a drug-induced coma and roused only for three feedings and bathroom breaks per day. She lost five kilos that month, pregnant. Her records show she couldn't stand up because she was too weak. Oh, my God. Then Esther went through something called repatterning, which was something that it, what happens there is when they break down the patient's mind to something like a childlike state through drugs and electroshock therapy to allow Dr. Cameron to work from a clean slate, going back to the wiping the mind, wiping the ego. Then Fuck, this sounds terrifying. It's terrifying. And then Cameron could then reprogram the patients. And part of his reprogramming regime would involve playing recorded messages to the patients for up to 20 hours a day, whether they were asleep or awake. They were just having these okay. voices played through headphones or helmets or speakers. Sometimes they were put inside the patient's pillow. And records show that some patients would hear these messages up to half a million times. But I wonder what they were saying. I don't know. By March oh. 1960, Esther Schreier's medical records state that she was considered completely depatterned. She was incontinent, mute, and had trouble swallowing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. She went in there with basically with depression and came out yep. fucked, a vegetable. Yep. Like a newborn baby. She oh developed a gynecological symptom when she was in there and started to bleed because she was late on in her pregnancy. So at this point, they brought the um, obstetrician in to treat her and then they would let her rest for four or five days. Then they would resume treatments. And Cameron's notes say that on August 17, 1960, six months after she entered the hospital, she had 29 electroshock treatments with most of them of the extreme variety that he was using. But because she was now in her eighth month of pregnancy, the treatment stopped and she was sent home. As a complete fucking vegetable. As a vegetable. So where's the husband? Why is the husband not intervening going, what the hell are you doing to my wife? Well, because they were, they thought that she was being looked after. They weren't aware yeah, of, of what was going on to her. Yeah, of course. But by the time Lloyd was born in September, Esther didn't know how to look after him. She didn't recognise her husband, Michelle. She had to learn, relearn everything, including how to boil water. Oh, God. But 20 years after the experiments were first publicly exposed, in 1994, the Canadian government offered compensation for people who were experimented on by Cameron from 1950 to 1965. So he was doing these experiments pre-MKUltra. And obviously, the government put their hand up and said, yeah, this was fucked. We're going to give you some money. Yeah, absolutely. <gasps> and some people believe that Cameron started his experiments in the late 1940s. The patients had to prove that they had been they had experienced full or substantial depatterning to be eligible. So that, going back to Gottlieb, so that's just mm. that story about the Canadians. There's a lot of them, a lot of witness statements oh, as well on the awful. podcast and on the news programs because it's been proven yeah. and obviously yeah. they got compensated. It happened. Now going back to Sidney Gottlieb, who is the godfather of the MK Ultra project, in a way. He was more influential to counterculture than Timothy Leary and that lot because in the 1950s, he arranged for the CIA to pay $240,000 to buy the world's entire supply of LSD. What? Give it to me, all of it, all of it. I want all the acid. So they were willing to participants of the experiments. Guess who they were, Michelle? <laughs> Ken Kesey, the author of One Flew Over the Cuckoo Nest, who got his LSD in an experiment through MKUltra, as did Robert Hunter, who's the lyricist for The Grateful Dead, and poet Allen Ginsberg. They all had a right. pop at being deprogrammed through LSD, but they thought it was fantastic. They fucking loved it. <laughs> they were thrilled with the results. They told their friends and anyone who'd listen to tune in and drop out. And these great mind-expanding qualities th through acid. So... That would bite the CIA in the bum because then the counterculture revolution took off and what followed was all this derailing of their, what's the word, the moral America that they were trying to build. Yeah, of course. It just turned into a hippie yeah. free-for-all. Like everyone's on acid and loving it. Going nuts. 
So there's also crime boss Whitey Bulger, who I don't know very much about. I'd like to find out more about him. Do you know about this guy? We have, I think, mentioned I feel like Whitey his name's Bulger. Been mentioned. He, yeah. yeah, we have. I, don't ask me why or how because I have no memory. But, yeah, we've talked about Whitey Bulger, I'm sure. So he was one of the prisoners who also volunteered to help with the research. And he was told it was research to find a cure for schizophrenia. And so he, he was given LSD every day for more than a year. But he later realised that he'd been duped. And this was an experiment into how to get a person to lose their marbles. <gasps> he wasn't very right. happy, Michelle. He later wrote about his horrific experiences. He said, I was in prison for committing a crime, but they committed a greater crime on me. He was furious. And he's absolutely fucking right. Yeah. You know? CIA officers in Europe and Asia were capturing enemy agents and other people deemed expendable. So now the reach is, is beyond the United States. Now we're in Europe. Now we're in Asia. Just any any kind of espionage or any kind of underbelly kind of criminal character that they could find, they would grab off the streets, they would throw them in cells and they would start testing alongside yep. intense questioning to see if they could break their resolve and destroy the humanity within them. So these projects were designed not only to understand the human mind, but also to work out how to destroy it. And mm -hmm. Gottlieb, with support from the CIA, who, by the way, the CIA did not oversee these experiments. They just allowed them to carry on, closed eyes, turned backs, just allowed him to go around killing and ruining lives across the US, Canada, Europe, Asia, without impunity. He was just free to go nuts and do his experiments which is basically giving the green light let's face it it is they, they may not have like supported and controlled directly but they definitely oh, they wanted the enabled yeah. yeah and you'll see it referenced heavily in modern cinema now there's aspects of the mk ultra in stranger things i i thought that when i watched it the first time also we just recently watched the remake of the ipcrest file heavily about mk ultra yeah. So the, what they're talking about in the Ipcris file is projects like Project Artichoke and Bluebird, which ran from 1953 to 1973 with the collaboration of the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence and the United States Army Biological Warfare Laboratories. Artichoke, Project Artichoke's primary goal was to determine whether a person could be involuntarily made to perform an act of attempted assassination. Right. And that's what was going on in the Ipcris file, not to give any spoilers. Well, you know, there's also the Philadelphia experiment as well. Yeah. Which is where the, the US military is meant to have conducted secret tests in Philadelphia in a shipping yard to, like, try and um, foil Nazi radars so they could get goods to, to their allies in Europe without being detected. And... It was also mind control stuff as well. So, you know, there have been things throughout history where the US government has been doing dodgy shit, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt about that because by the yeah. end of it, these experiments ceased in 1973 when the director of the CIA and Gottlieb's boss, Richard Helms, was removed by President Nixon. The two men right. then decided to wipe all the evidence of MKUltra, the projects that had been going on under Sidney Gottlieb's tenure, although there were some records found at a depot for expense accounts reports and various other pieces of paper. So there was enough there for officials to reconstruct some of what had happened. So in the end, that's how they were able to then start a, something in 1976, which is called the Church Committee, which is chaired by... Idaho Senator Frank Church, and this was created as part of a series of investigations into intelligence abuses in what was called the Year of Intelligence. So not only did they uncover that in the report, in the Church yeah. Committee report, not only did they uncover MKUltra, they also found something called COINTELPRO, which involved the surveillance and infiltration of American political and civil rights organization, including attempts on Martin Luther King's life by the CIA and by the government. Then there was something called Family Jewels, which is another CIA program to covertly assassinate foreign leaders. Mm. This shit was going on and they found yeah. out about it and it is now in public records. Yet people still trust the CIA. <laughs> I can't understand it. Operation Mockingbird is also a systematic propaganda campaign with domestic and foreign journalists 
operating as CIA assets and dozens of US news organizations providing cover for CIA activity. What a shadowy little organization the CIA are. Really? And they've got, you know, dodgy little fingers in all sorts of pies. As Snowden can tell you. And then there's Project Shamrock, in which the major telecommunication companies shared their traffic with the NSA, which is the National Security something. NSA, what's that stand for again? I can't Association. remember. Association. Association, thank you. So I'm just going to end with Dr. Ewan Cameron's legacy, which was felt at none other than Guantanamo Bay on oh. suspected terrorists and Al-Qaeda suspects who were mentally broken and tortured using the same techniques pioneered by this lovely Scottish doctor. So it didn't end in 1976. It carried no. on. They still use the techniques to this day, probably yep. in loads of different places underground, which we don't know about. Horrific. God, that's just terrifying. But I mean, do you remember that when Guantanamo was was happening, people were shocked and horrified by the... Yeah. The, the torture treatment. tools yeah. that were being used. Yeah. Stress positions and waterboarding and isolation. Sound. Sound. Sound babies torture. crying. Yeah. Mm. Bullets, like tapes of bullets going off nearby and women screaming and babies crying. Absolutely horrific. But look, all of this stuff, look, you go online, you just type in the most simplest of searches and there is so much, so much on all of this stuff. Like I said at the top of my story, let's be clear, this is a, a conspiracy theory. But what are the grains Mine's of not. truth in all of these? Well, yeah, yours isn't. And, you know, actually, when I was just mentioning about the Philadelphia experiment, I forgot the the main thing, which is, yes, they were trying to, like, use, like, like trick the Nazis with, with these radars. Yeah. But apparently, and I think actually... Is it the? Is there a, a Tom Hanks movie? Philadelphia. No, that's about AIDS, isn't it? Wasn't he like? Oh yeah, maybe you're right. Oh him, yeah, maybe it's a like completely a, different thing. Yeah. Philadelphia something, not that one. No, <laughs> but the part of this um, Philadelphia experiment is that yes, they were trying to like knock out Nazi radar vibes, whatever. But apparently, they reckon they accidentally caused a battleship to travel into a different dimension through time. What? Yeah. And there was a story about this made in 1984. I'm going to have to look up what it was. And, you know, they're saying that, you know, is it real? Is it folklore? I mean, again, conspiracy theories, stories. Who really knows? But there is so yeah. much about the Americans just experimenting, experimenting, experimenting on yeah. its own citizens to try and get ahead, get a military leg up. And, you know, this goes back also to what we were talking about just a few weeks ago with like the aliens and all of the the UAP investigations and the, the new government bodies. You know, it's all to do with not protecting human life, but about military advantage. So, Absolutely, yeah. You know, what they what they get away with in the name of, of military advantage is it's scary. But are they getting yeah. away with it? I don't know. Let's hope not. No. Let's hope that more more church committees ha happen and we find out more about what's been going on and we can put an end to it. You know what I say, Michelle. Just everybody just live and let live. For God's sake, just get on with it. You don't need to keep trying to get leg over, getting it one up, one up on other countries and spying and all that. Just have a nice time, guys. We're on a nice planet. Do you know what, Jordi? Chill out. I do think getting a leg over actually means something different. <laughs> I realised that once I said it. So I apologise. <laughs> Everybody just get your legs over and forget about war, for God's sake. Do you know what? The world would actually be a better place if everyone did just get a leg over more often. You know, there'd be lots of happy, happy people enjoying watermelon sugar. As long as it's consensual, Michelle, as long as it's consensual, <laughs> let's just make sure that caveat is in place. But listen, I think we have come to the end of our chit chat today, my love. Thank you so much for that incredible story. Yeah, really. That's loved it. my pleasure. Thank you for yours and your update on Lynn Dawson. But I just want to remind everybody that we do actually have a way that you can support us. If you're loving what you're listening to, if you want us to have more time and more money to spend on making things better, go over to our Patreon page, which is www dot forward slash patreon dot com forward slash I don't fucking know. 
<laughs> Patreon Eve's dropping no G. You'll find us. You'll find us. You'll find us. And there's we've got links links on the uh, on the website as well. On the website over there, you can pledge money per month and get extra things and lovely yummy stuff that we're coming up with all the time. And not only extra content but also merchandise in the near future. But also, you can just give us a tip because you like us. Why don't you do that? I mean, it'd be a nice thing to do, wouldn't it? I mean, look, I give tips all the time. I give tips I tip. to waiters. Thank you for your service. Here's a tip. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I throw a coin in a hat for people who are doing good music on the street. You know, chuck us a tip. We'll, we'll, we'll be very we're grateful. We're very happy for anything. But, you know, I do think also, Geordie, it does bring yeah. us to that point in the show where we yes. say, wherever you are. Whatever you do. <laughs> Just keep eavesdropping. 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 Eaves